Welcome to episode number three of the Dads on Tap podcast. My name is Scott Maudsley, and I'm the founder of Dads on Tap and the host for our monthly podcast to help dads become better dads. And that's really the mission of our nonprofit. We exist to craft better dads. And we do this through brewery partnership chapters and now through this monthly podcast. In fact, we are broadcasting once again today from the Left Nut Brewery in Gainesville, Georgia, because we felt like we had to do this podcast in a brewery. So you're going to hear the beer being made in the background. You're going to hear the patrons having some fun. We've even had some lightning storms roll through today, so we're making it extra hard on our sound techs. But we're honored to be here and excited to partner with Left Nut Brewery for this broadcast. This week, we're going to have another guest who is a close friend of mine and who has a story that you might find hard to believe. I can promise you it's going to be interesting and it's going to be a really helpful discussion. But before I get to this interview, I want to start by saying a big thank you to this month's brewery sponsor, Slow Pour Brewery in Lawrenceville, Georgia. As I've mentioned before, Slow Pour is not only a fantastic brewery, it's also the original Dads on Tap brewery partner. And I have the privilege of talking for a few minutes today with one of their top customers about why he loves Slow Pour. And so I'm excited here on our episode three of the Dads on Tap podcast uh, to do another uh, sponsor interview. Uh, Slowport Brewery is our first three-month sponsor of our episodes. And when I asked Nate and John and the team, who is somebody that we need to interview in month number three, they all said, you got to interview Tim Mullen. So Tim, no pressure, but we're glad to have you here today. No, I'm feeling the pressure. <laughs> Well, Tim, one of the reasons, a couple of reasons why the guys said we had to interview you, first of all, they just said, you're just such a great customer. You believe so much in the mission of slow pour and why we exist. And then you have played a big role in actually creating a space that is welcoming, that is interesting for the community to come and engage there at, at slow pour in Lawrenceville. So if you would just take a few minutes and tell us how you got connected to slow pour and then what's the work that you've done there. Yeah, I'm a retired school teacher. I retired five years ago. And when I was about ready to retire, everybody would ask me, what do you want to do when you retire? And I always said, I want to work at a brewery. I want to be the guy that and give me the glass and pour a tap, pour on a half a glass. Back then, you had to buy the glass, and then you got some beer in the glass. <laughs> so I went up to the brewery after being retired about a year and asked them, do you, take, do you have volunteers? Mike Martin was the bar manager back then. He said, well, we sometimes have volunteers, but they usually don't work. But tell you what, come in tomorrow and you put labels on cans. So I went in for a couple of weeks, putting the label on can one, can two, can three. After a couple of weeks and talking, Mike found out I was a gardener. And he said, you know, we're thinking about a beer garden. Could you help us with that? I said, well, I don't know anything about building a beer garden. But Marty, John, Mike, and I went out on the patio. It was just concrete with tables. So we went out there and I said, well, on the wall here, we could build a wall, maybe put some flowers in. Marty looked at me, gave me a $100 bill and said, here, build it. <laughs> so ever since then, I've been going up there at least once or twice a week, building planters, putting in plants. And it's been kind of a, my two favorite things to do in retirement, planting things and building things. And over time, as it gets bigger and bigger and more people come, one of the things I really enjoy about it is on the evenings, sitting up on the deck and just looking out and watching everybody just enjoy it. The families out there, their parents are sitting together, the kids are off over there playing. It's just a, a very peaceful, rewarding experience just to listen watch that. Well, Tim, I have to tell you, obviously, I've seen it from before you got your green thumb in the mix and now, and it's just absolutely beautiful, man. You've done such a oh, great thank job you. there. Thank you. And, you know, one of the things we've talked about with both John and Nate is how Slowport Brewery, certainly they make great beer. We'll finish our time by getting your take on what you think some of the best beer there. But more than that, they also care about the community and want to create a space where people can come and they can participate, feel like they're a part of the community. I'm, yes. I am curious, yes. you know, if, if our listeners have never been to Slowport, I know we both would encourage them. They got to get to Lawrenceville. They got to yeah. go see this beautiful space. But Landscape architecture is a real thing. When you think about what you've created there, what's been a little bit of kind of the philosophy of your thinking of what you've built there as far as the garden and the flowers and things that you've put in place? 
I am a master gardener, part of the EGA Extension Service. And one of the things that kind of a purpose of them is to educate people on gardening. So we're, we're kind of taking it beyond just having a beer garden that John and Marty have said, go for it, but use the garden as a demonstration garden. So when customers come, the new homeowners that want to plant, so many people don't know what to put in their yards. So we've designed the garden so that there's pollinator plants. So if they want to draw butterflies, there's fruits and vegetables, if they want to do food, there's hops, if they want to see how they how beer is made. We have the only hops in Georgia at a brewery that I know of. We grow wheat and barley and oats also. So we're trying to educate people. And the whole thing of a garden, too, every garden I've ever gone to forever, you relax. When you go into a garden and there's flowers and there's greenery, it just creates an an atmosphere just chill. Absolutely. That's what we're laying it out. I love it. Then the space, we've kind of made three three or four different spaces that if you want to Go up under the shade, under the trees, near the butcher court. People play cornhole and butchie up there and sit in the tree, big tables. Or if you want to sit down in front of the band, we have a bandstand with the table with flowers all around. And then the cornhole area, there's hops and flowers all around. So it's just surround the customers with plants, which I'm sure there's research that shows that plants are, have a calming effect. And it just gets, creates a welcoming atmosphere. So that's been my goal. Absolutely. And, and John and I have talked all the time, too. That there's so many breweries nowadays. It's not just about the beer anymore. Yep. It's about the atmosphere of the brewery. Why would I want to go there? Because it's just another place that has beer. Even though slow pour beer is good. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, well, you, but you've created that, you know, the, the very name, right? A slow pour, right? Yes. A place to slow time. down and slow relax. Down. Exactly. That's the <laughs> and, and I love the educational element of that as well, right? To connect what the place does, right? To the agricultural side of it. I grew right. up on the farm, so I, 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 I know those stories. <laughs> we do have events, the Arbor Day and us, the Gardener Day and Pollinator Con Day, but we have tables up for the kids. Yep. It's not just about the growing up. The kids can go there and plant seeds or do leaf, leaf rubbings or paint a rock. Kids are important, so we're going to include them. I love it, Tim. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thanks for the work you have done. And I encourage you, if you've not been to Slowpore, get out there, not just for the beer, right, in the community, but also to be able to see the garden, to be able to have a relaxing place and to just enjoy the total experience. So, Tim, final question for you today as we close. If there is one Slowpore beer that you personally wish everyone could try, what would be one of those for you? I would say one of the stouts that have been aged in the whiskey barrels. Come on, the now. barrels that sit back there in the nostalgia room, full of good stout beer. That's the one. I love it. Yeah. So I've had a few of those there on tap at the brewery. So yeah. get by there. I know those are seasonal often, right? That they release, but yeah, but they're putting out stouts, different kinds of stouts, pretty much year round now. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Tim, listen, man, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really grateful for the support of Slow Pour for Dads on Tap. Thank you. And if anything I can do for Dads on Tap in addition, let me know. I believe in you. Well, thanks, man. We appreciate it. Well, thank you, Tim, so much. And thank you to Slow Pour for being our sponsor. Today, I am honored to have my good friend, David Metter, with me. Um, David, welcome, brother. Well, thank you so much for having me here. This is a great place to hang out. Absolutely. You know, David is a business leader. He's an entrepreneur. He's a good friend. And we could talk for a long time about all that. But today, we want to get into the conversation focusing on your family story. So first and foremost, you are a husband and a dad to six kids, right? That is true. That alone qualifies you to talk to us about being a dad? <laughs> well, I can tell you all the things not to do. We might also give you a couple extra beers, right? No, <laughs> we won't go there too. I think that's well-deserved. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, David is my good friend, and he's a great dad, and I'm really excited to interview him today. And so, David, I'd love for you just to start our time together by sharing a little bit about your family. Sure. Interesting now, our six kids are all pretty much adult ages. We have our oldest daughter who has been married for almost 10 years, and we're expecting our second grandchild. In fact, she's due on May 4th, and we're huge Star Wars fans, so if you know anything about that, and, (laughs) and 
we are really pushing for the name Ray Lynn, so we can call her Ray. Oh, my. Another Star Wars reference. So okay. for all you Star Wars dads out there, let's all hope that that actually happens. I know. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> so that's our oldest. And then we have a 28-year-old son. You know, he did his undergrad and grad, and now he's going to chiropractor school. So, you know, he's living the adult life. Awesome. How about that? <laughs> and then we have a 25-year-old daughter who is a professional and a 23-year-old daughter who got married last year. And you know her really well. Oh, yes, absolutely. She's take care of one of my kids. How about that, right? <laughs> and now she takes care of lots of kids because she's <laughs> yes. an elementary school teacher. So we're, you know, excited because both of our son-in-laws are honestly the best and then we have these twins that turn 19 in a few days. Oh my goodness. They're, right? They're freshmen in college uh, up at Liberty University, and uh, we couldn't be any more proud. So my wife and I, you know, after navigating through six kids playing about, I don't know, 100 sports all at the same time, have now gotten to a place where uh, we look at each other and we're like, where is everybody? <laughs> Yeah, you're just trying to make us all jealous right now because I'm in the middle of AEU with a 16-year-old and competition cheer with an 11-year-old. Oh, so. my gosh. At the same time. that's Those are fun days. Yeah, 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 yeah they really are. I'm glad they're with you now. <laughs> yeah, 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 you you got your enough of gray hair from that, that oh, yeah. experience, right? Absolutely. So, well, you know, one of the things, David, that is true about being a dad is that we are always shaped by our dads and by that experience. And so I wanted to also start a little bit today with talking about what was the relationship with your dad like growing up? My dad wasn't around. Just a, the quick story. My mom, a uh, single mom, had me when she was 19. And uh, my dad was about 20 years older than my mom. And he wanted to be around. She didn't want him to be around because of the age difference. And so I uh, really never knew him. Uh, and never got to know him through uh, my childhood. I saw him a few times that I can remember, but uh, never had a relationship with him. You know, David, it strikes me as we're talking to dads who are listening to us right now, who also may be sitting in one of our chapters at a brewery, that a lot of our dads may have a very similar experience where their dad just wasn't around at all as a kid. Um, so I'm curious to know, uh, coming out of that experience, what was it like trying to forge your way as a young man, not having that dad there as an example for you? I will tell you, it was tough because you have to remember that this is in the early 70s. I was born in 1969, early 70s. The majority of families were together, but that's when you started to see a little bit more of you know the marriage breakups. Absolutely. Yep. But, in, but in our environment, in the neighborhood that I grew up in, I was definitely the first, and, and I remember that vividly in any event, any sporting event, that I was the only one who didn't have a dad around. It was rough, but uh, it gave me the opportunity to really define the things that were important to me and the things that I definitely wanted to change when I became a father. You know, David, it's great that you say that because uh, my guess is that, that is, the intensity of that experience could really go one of two directions, right? It's like either you stay disconnected, you're, you know, you don't know how to connect as a dad, or it goes the opposite way, which I know is true for you because I know you really well, that you lean in to making sure that your kids never have to experience that, right? And so uh, tell me a little bit about, you're a great dad. You have a great relationship with your kids. Uh, you know, one of the things we say at Dads on Tap all the time is, is that we're not about being perfect, right? Like all of us make dumbass decisions as dads, right? Absolutely. And we can talk all about that all the yep. time, right? I but, probably made one on the way up here <laughs> somehow. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> so, um, but tell me a little bit about what not having a dad kind of it reinforced or steeled in you about how you were going to have a different legacy than that for your family and for your children. I'll tell you, maybe I'll answer it a little differently. Um, the thing that I believe that I got more than maybe somebody who grew up in a traditional family was um, I became a more nurturing person because my mom was around. That was all I knew. And I was typically around uh, more women than I was, you know, than I, than I would hang out with because there were no dads around, yeah. right? You know, as I look back, I think about those times where, uh, especially when my kids were younger, that I was more nurturing and more attentive and more loving. 
And that could be because I just didn't have a dad who was that, or it could be because I was surrounded by my mom and other women okay. who yeah. were probably more naturally loving like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. They, and they play, had to play kind of both roles yes. in your life. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So we all have kind of philosophies of who we are as a dad, right? And I'd be curious when you think about your home, uh, what would you say is kind of the philosophy of being a dad for you? And what did that look like in a practical way in your home? Well, the thing that I tried to do more than anything that I think set groundwork is that we had open communication. You know, I would always try to over communicate with my kids, maybe to the point of, you know, uh, somewhat failure sometimes. <laughs> okay, right? Enough, right? right? <laughs> but uh, that was important to me because I really never had that growing up. Like I never felt like I knew what the heck was going on in our chaotic situation as I was growing up. And so I didn't, I certainly didn't want chaos. Anything that was, uh, had anything borderline dramatic, I would try to keep away from. But I always felt like if I communicated well with my kids and shared with them what was going on with me, with, you know, within our family unit, I always felt like we were always on the same page. That meant something. That's to me, great. That's sure. great. Because we're at Left Nut Brewery, I want to take a little quick little left turn right now. Okay. So uh, it actually strikes me, uh, and this wasn't in our show notes, but I'd love to hear from you when you, when you think about the fact that we may have some dads that are listening to us or that are watching at one of our chapters that have gone through a difficult circumstance in life. Maybe there was a divorce, right? And they're on the outside looking in, trying to figure out how do I connect with my kids, right? Is there anything about your childhood, not having your dad around, that you would say to dads about how they should continue to try to pursue their kids, even if there is some level of disconnect and it's really hard? Is there anything you wish your dad would have done for you growing up, even though it was tough? I can tell you that... I do remember a few incidences when my dad tried to insert himself, you know, and that didn't go well. My mom, and, you know, I, I will tell you t to this day, I probably have a little bit of animosity specific to that with my mom. Mm, like that okay. is still something, there's tension there uh, that we have, you know, communicated and tried to get through uh, over the years. So I would tell you that I don't know if I would necessarily say that my dad should have or could have done things differently. I think he tried. Yeah. I will tell you, though, that those are the things that are embedded in me around resiliency and just and, and making sure that I do anything and everything for my kids, which has uh, definitely paid off. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So maybe the message is just keep trying. Keep trying. Right? The most Don't you ever can. give up. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, that, that becomes a cliche type of thing to say. Yeah. But you know what I know for sure? Kids see everything. They may not look like they're paying attention, but when you do these things and you continue to push forward and you continue to have their best interests in mind, you know, without going overboard and doing the things that are right for your family, they see that and it gets embedded in them. And that's good and bad. Right. Right. <laughs> Can work both ways. <laughs> yes. Right. For sure. So, we are going to transition out of to the topic of our discussion, uh, and we're going to focus the rest of our time on, this month on how to be a, a good dad in the midst of really tough or difficult times. So you and I both know there are a lot of dads out there listening or maybe watching in from a chapter that are just in a tough time, right? My guess is that you have experienced a whole different level and maybe a deeper level of challenge in difficult times than maybe most dads that I know. So let's jump into your story a little bit. Could you just share with us where you come from? Let's, let's dive into this difficult time. You know, I know in the past year, these things have been opened back up in unique ways, right? That, that you've had to kind of deal with, but you've always engaged your kids through this tough time to try to keep being a good dad. So Let's share the story, man, and we'll go from there. <laughs> I know. What a cliffhanger you just left. You know, it's always interesting to tell this story because, you know, now we're 11 years past it and there was so much before that. But when people meet us, especially people who've known us, let's say, just in the last 10 years, they look at us and, you know, we've just walked through the six kids and how well they're adjusted and things are good and like... You know, people you got it all figured out. Oh man. yeah, like smooth. you know, and they get they get irritated when they see us, and they're like, "Yeah, there's the matters." It's what they don't know is what happened to put us in a position uh, of strength that we're in now. You know, I came from a broken marriage. Uh, 
where I was married for, you know, over 15 years. And, uh, you know, we talk about the six kids and we talk about them in a collective so that people think that we are one family because we are one family by choice. Absolutely. Right? But our two oldest children are from my wife, Lonnie, and the four younger are from my previous marriage, uh, where I was married for about 15 years. And that marriage did not go well. And there were definitely different cycles of uh, things that were broken. But towards the end, the one thing that I knew clearly was that I was going to put my children first. I could not see... Uh, a happy ending to the way that our marriage was going, but I definitely could see, I had this great vision of how I could be uh, a a good father to uh, the four girls. And as I started uh, that transition, we were living in Maryland at the time. And in Maryland, you have to go through a legal separation for a year before you can get a divorce. And there are some other stipulations to that, but none of those applied to our situation. So we had to wait a year. And from that first day of our legal separation, knowing that my children were the most important thing to me, uh, my ex-wife decided to withhold my children. Now, a lot of separated parents go through this. Yep. I'm talking to a couple of dads right now. They're in this very space. Yep. But I'll tell you, it got to the extreme. So much so that she eventually broke court orders and moved from Maryland to Ohio. There was about three or four months, even in Maryland, where I was blocked from seeing my daughters. But that just put me in a position where I was not going to give up. Yeah, you're and there were moments. Yeah, and there were yeah. moments. I will tell you. Um, I- I'll tell you the the worst moment was about four months in, and it was uh, the twins' birthday, which is funny because interestingly, you know, their birthdays in another two days. So this was, gosh, probably thirteen years ago, fourteen years ago, and uh, I begged and pleaded uh, to show up to give them their birthday presents. And, and my ex-wife uh, finally agreed. I showed up at our house that I was, by the way, still paying for and, and did everything that I could to keep our family as normal as possible on the financial side so that I could hopefully be connected on the parental side. Uh, and so I show up and, and I, you know, I, I had bought them bikes and pulled them out, knocked on the door and uh, she wouldn't open the door. Hmm. And I could literally hear my four daughters crying, screaming. And, you know, you just, as a father, honestly, it's, it just tears your heart out. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's almost 15 years ago and it still yeah, bothers still me. Feeling. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that was just one of about a hundred episodes that happened in that two years uh, of our separation and ultimately our divorce. But my point of telling that specific story, I remember that that like broke me. Absolutely, yeah. Like I was I was in a bad place. And your girls, what would have been kind of the age range that they were in in that season? Gosh, I you know the twins were probably four years old, five years old, yeah, so they're probably young. four. So they were really young, yeah. and and Cassidy, you know, a couple uh, three years older than that, and Lindsay yeah. a couple years older than yeah, that. Yeah, so they're not even teenage years yet. Oh gosh, I mean, no, no, yeah, no, no. Yeah, we're talking. And so you know, you hear that inside, and I remember going back to my apartment uh, that night. And I remember being a complete mess. And I remember my ex-wife calling me and I'll never forget exactly what she said to me. She said, you know, you're a horrible father. You'll never see your kids. They don't want you around. Uh, And quite honestly, you're better off to us dead. You're worth more to us dead than you are alive. And I remember sitting and, you know, so I'm in this apartment on the 10th floor, by the way. And the last words she said to me before I hung up on her was, uh, you should just jump out the window. Wow. And so I'm seriously contemplating this, yeah. right? Yeah, you're already in tough space. Yeah, because I'm, like, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm at my lowest point. I remember falling to my knees, and, and, uh, and I just remember praying intently, like I've never prayed before. Mm-hmm. And I yep. remember the connection that I had with God in that moment where <laughs> he said something very specific to me. And I don't ever remember in my life having something so clearly mm-hmm. said to me by anybody. But in that moment, I remember him saying, I have a way out of this. And I didn't know what that meant at the time, right? 
But what I did know was I got up and I had this energy as a father that I was not going to give up. And I knew that I wasn't alone in figuring this out. And at the same time that I was going through all this, all of my friends in our environment, our neighbors, our friends, I've never been at a point where I've had everyone turn against me Mm. and had no support whatsoever. Wow. Wow. Uh, And so, you know, that goes on for about a year and a half, two years. We have dads right now, they're in places that they're just desperate and they're discouraged and they're going through really difficult times. And, you know, as I I know your story, even hearing you share, sometimes it's just putting one foot in front of the other and just trying to make the right decision today, right? And, and, you know, I've heard it said in the Hebrew scriptures, it never said that it came to stay. It always says it, and it came to pass. Yes. (laughs) And so one of the, and we'll hear the redemption of your story in a little bit too, but one of the things of you just being faithful and just trying to keep taking the next step forward, ultimately it did come to pass, although it gets a little darker. Yes. Well, I'm, you know, I'm glad you brought the next step piece up because it reminded me that was when I got serious about living one day at a time. And not having the worries or the troubles of tomorrow bear down on me today. Yeah. So I just took one day at a time. And uh, as I went through that time period, it allowed me to keep my head up, even though I felt like I was dealing with some major adversity, sure. yep. including my kids moving out of, uh, you know, out of the house, basically in the middle of the night, going back to Ohio, where we were originally from, mm. and creating that distance that actually just encouraged me that much more. I will tell you that, um, you know, there wasn't a, a weekend that I wasn't in Ohio. Yep. And then I started seeing things turn. Okay. And what I mean by that is simple things like the hotel that I would stay at. It was an extended stay hotel. They started uh, allowing me to keep things there because they saw me coming every week oh, or wow. every other okay. week. So they allowed me to keep a Rubbermaid uh, container with personal items, pictures, and everything else. And they helped decorate the room before I would get there. You had a home away from home at the hotel. Yes, because they knew how important it was for me to establish an area of comfort for the kids when they came to spend time with me. That's a whole different level of loyalty program. (laughs) At the same time, right? At the same time where they they had their mother chirping in their ears, well, you're just going to a hotel. Like that's not that's not where you want to be. And they took it a different way. And I had this environment that was homey and friendly and inviting. And then I had other people start to come around me who were seeing maybe the darker side of my ex-wife during that time, including the school the principals, the teachers, where my kids were missing 20 and 30 days out of a school year. Wow. Which I know is unbelievable, right? right? (laughs) Extreme. But what happened was when we got to a point where we could start talking to the court system in Ohio, all of that momentum that I was establishing with all of those people and all of those things started putting things in our favor. Ah, uh, okay. So, so much now so. you're getting the upper hand as a parent because of her choices. Well, and they're seeing that I'm making the effort to be there at every single school event in midweek. I'm flying in for yep. a two-hour event on a Wednesday night for a second-grade program. And they see that that's important to me because yeah. it was important to me. Yeah. I wasn't doing it for show. I was doing yeah. it because I wanted to be there for yeah. my daughter. You know, and I will say this too, David, because I know your business world. That took a sacrifice, <laughs> a big sacrifice on your part. But you got clear enough as a dad in this season that you were going to sacrifice whatever it took to be there and to get there for your kids. And I think that's a great thing for our dads to always remember. Some of our dads may not be dealing with having to travel from another state, some of them need to kind of step up when it's just down the street at times, right? I mean, Agreed. those are the things that uh, that I remembered when I had to make a choice of buying a airline ticket to go for that that Wednesday yeah. night event. Yep. I wasn't going to miss it, and that's a story that I tell to a number of my friends who are young dads now, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely, so, absolutely. It took time and effort and intentionality, but I started getting this momentum so much so. That about a year into this, um, I got remarried. Yep. And so now I have this 
really interesting travel dynamic between Georgia, Maryland, and Ohio. And Ohio. But you know, I figured, why not have one more stop in the in the a few the more setting? frequent flyer miles, of well, course. <laughs> But we, um, we were settling in whenever we would have the girls in our home in Georgia. Uh, there was no tension. There was no drama. Yeah. There was no angst. And, and so the girls started to see this and they would go back to tension and drama and angst. Right. And it got bad. Yeah. And it, so even when they're young and don't know, as they begin to mature and get older, it it can't help but show up, right? Because kids get it. They do. And, and I'll tell you, that's why I said earlier, our kids pay attention. Yeah. You don't think that they're paying attention. You know, I would say this, especially young fathers who have young children. You think the words and the tone that you use within your relationships don't matter. It absolutely matters. They yeah. don't forget that. Yep. It impresses on them. Yep. And so in the time where we were establishing you know, a loving, caring environment, they were not seeing that and they wanted more. And so our first daughter chose to come and live with us. Yep. And that created... How old was she at the time? Uh, she was probably 12 or okay. 15. Yep. Because there was so much tension and anxiety that was happening on her time back in Ohio that when she was in Georgia, that's that she was thriving. Yep. And we, I'll tell you, Scott, I, you know, I forget about parts of these stories until I get into the story. Yeah. So we had to make a decision because they were down for the summer. We were sending them back right before school yep. and we were at the airport in Atlanta and Lindsay refused to get on the plane. Wow. And we had no, we had no idea or inclination that this was going to happen yeah. until we yeah. were at the gate. This is like in the moment. Yes. And we were putting the girls back on the plane to go back to Ohio and she will not, I mean, she was creating a scene in the Atlanta airport. And I had to make a decision right then and there. I was going to put her on the plane or I was going to keep her off of the plane. And there was a high likelihood that I was going to have to go to jail. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is World War III. I mean, this is intense. Because, yeah. because I could easily have been arrested for it, right? Because it was part of a court order. And I actually, you know, pay attention to our court orders. And, and <laughs> Maybe important, you know, yeah, kind of. <laughs> typically. But I'll tell you what, you talk about, you know, I go back to the words that I heard that I'm going to work this out. This was the first of many things that happened that should not have happened. Yeah. So when the police department shows up uh, on our door in Suwannee and it became real, they turned around and decided that they saw that the environment that my daughter was in was a better environment. And they communicated that back to Ohio. And the judge who could have said, nope, that's not good enough, said, nope, you know what? We know of these four other things that have happened here. And we're starting to connect some dots. So why don't we temporarily allow her to stay, which then turned into a permanent thing okay. through a series of court appearances so now we have momentum. Yeah, yeah. And it strikes me that the fact that even in the most difficult of times, even when it seemed the darkest, the fact that you just kept trying to do the right thing and you kept trying to reach out to your kids and stay connected, that at some point doing the right thing actually can turn the momentum in the direction of the person who's making that right. If you're a dad, just doing the right thing at some point, it will pay or pay off. And I'll tell you that nobody believed that that momentum would pay off. I remember being in the, the courthouse in Ohio and our attorney said, this is a, uh, we had a female judge who is, has a track record of not siding with a father in this type of court case. And we walk out of there and she's smiling at me saying, take care of your daughter. And the, the, my attorney looks at me and says, I can't believe what just happened. And we had a number of those, uh, you those know, moments. Uh, those moments. So, Dave, there's so many things we could dig into, right? And uh, a lot of the dads that we are listening to can relate to you on so many levels. But now we go to an even crazier place. Yes. Right? Yep. So, um, take us to where it went next. And this is the... 
was it Lifetime TV this was featured on or 2020 or what was so the... It's been on a couple. I found that when you make multiple ones, <laughs> then it must be a pretty decent story. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, but level of crazy for multiple is... <laughs> now, what, what's more interesting is that the when, when you make these types of shows, whether it's on the Oxygen Network or if it's on 2020... Usually the ending is not good. Right. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, right. Sadly, as I did my research on this. place where you were protected. Yes, <laughs> for sure. So we come out of that court hearing with momentum. Uh, now we have our next daughter, Cassidy, who wants to come live with us. Things are not going well in Ohio, right? right? Yep. They're getting worse. And so when girls were down with us uh, right after school had ended in 2011, okay. But we were out at the lake enjoying ourselves. And it was the first time, Scott, that I remember in that two plus years where we weren't getting our phones blown up. Like she would call the cops on us. Like if we went out on the boat and we just came back. Just creating chaos. Just creating chaos, right? But we have this week out at the lake and I didn't hear from her at all. It was the weirdest. It was weird and nice. It was weird. It was weird and nice. And I'm like, this is how life could be. You know, we weren't having any of the tension that typically followed, you know, when the girls were down with us, uh, you know, between us. The three girls end up going back to Ohio, to Cleveland. And Lonnie and I had just started a new company, a new uh, tech company. And uh, I was so excited about that. I was about to make my first work trip down to Florida. Things are going well. The kids are settled. And I end up going down there. I sign our first big deal. And the next morning, I'm supposed to go in and finish everything up before I head back to Atlanta. And I get a phone call that I will never forget ever. Because 15 minutes earlier, the uh, police department, the homicide detectives, had shown up on our front door of our home back in Atlanta. And my wife answers. And they tell her that uh, they need to get a hold of me. They go through this whole long thing, but they finally tell her that my ex-wife had hired a hitman to kill me, and it was going to be paid out of uh, a life insurance policy that I had to keep as part of our uh, divorce agreement, uh, which was a substantial life insurance policy. And so my phone call I get from my wife, I'm thinking is more of a congratulatory, hey, you know, (laughs) she goes, I need you to talk to this detective. And so he shares with me the story. I honestly didn't believe him, Scott. I I will tell you, I actually actually made Gwinnett County Police Department call me from another line and confirm because of all of the things that I didn't share with you, all the things that happened in those two years prior, yeah. I didn't put it past my ex-wife to do something this extreme. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I the didn't think she was... would do that extreme, but we found out in short order. So they thought I was still in Atlanta mm-hmm. and they were going to do some Photoshop photos to make it look like I had been shot so that they could go through this sting operation. And wow. so I had to take photos of myself, which I will tell you still 12 yeah, years later yeah, is I mean, still kind of weird. Yeah. Right. Crazy. Uh, but they Photoshopped those. Uh, they ended up having the agreed uh, meeting back in Ohio. I will tell you that I, uh, you know, I, I am a pro police supporter because I've never watched uh, so many people work together in conjunction to protect somebody. What I didn't know was that they were actually watching our house for the three days prior to that, just to make sure, to confirm that nothing was going on, that there wasn't a second hitman hired. You had to see the best of the law enforcement community. It was, yeah. it was amazing. And yeah. so, you know, they ultimately caught them. This all happened as I had to get back on a plane to Atlanta or, you know, back to Atlanta from Fort Lauderdale. And this is pre-internet on planes. So there was an hour and 20 minutes. Wow. I, I will tell you that every thought was going through my mind. Like, I hope she didn't do this to, I hope she gets caught to, what about my three girls that are in a school? You know, right. they're, they're, yeah. they're in these, you know, different events yeah. uh, back in Ohio. And what was she doing with them? So you, all these horrible things go through your mind. But I land back in Atlanta 
I find out as soon as I, we, we, we weren't even on the tarmac. I turned my phone on as we were still going down yeah, the yeah, runway. Yeah. And uh, I found out that, in fact, that uh, she had been caught along with her father. And my next move was, I never thought of anything else. i got to go get my girls. Yeah. Yep. Which I'll tell you, you know, talk about another blessing. Uh, Delta stepped in in a way that I couldn't. I mean, this is not an endorsement for Delta Airlines, but I will tell you that I've never seen anybody step but up. We do love you, Ed, and yes, Delta too. Absolutely, so. <laughs> like uh, they stepped up in a way that I, I, I they a believed the story because it was crazy, but they did things that I could have never imagined. And then all of the people that we gain friendships with, from the judge to a guardian ad litem, yeah, to all of these other people in Cleveland. When I landed, they had taken care of our children. The schools, the principal, the police, all of them came together and put us in a protective state that I could have never imagined. Dave, this is really powerful, though, because the fact that over these years you had done everything you could to do the right thing as a dad, right, and the right thing for your daughters in the most intense, worst situation of your life, all that work came together because the people that were around it and saw it were there for you as well. Yeah, because right? and, and I'll tell you, you talk about going against the wind on this. I spared everyone the insults and the things that were said to me to my face, behind my back, when I would show up at school dances and other parents who were around my ex-wife throughout the week would get all of these you know, word tracks that weren't true. And I had to battle through all of that kind of stuff. It was just noise to me, Scott. I, I just, all I cared about was what my girls thought about me. And I yeah. knew that my girls didn't think that about me. So uh, in episode one, I share a little bit of my own personal story and the craziness and living with a single dad for a while. And there was a season in our life where my mom had my two younger brothers. My dad had me and my older brother. And I remember one time in particular that I'm reminded of when you talk about your story, my dad decided to keep my two younger brothers and all hell broke loose. And smashed windows. I was hiding underneath a bed at home. Mom came, grabbed the two brothers and left. I mean, the next morning I go down at the back door. There's my mom's blood trickling down the, the back door, right? Just that level of intensity. And I remember something very distinctly, and it, and it reminds me of your story. I remember my dad's lawyer said to him, what you should have done is you should have at the front door turned her around, kicked her out of your house by the ass, and told her don't ever come back. I remember my dad said to him, I know that what she's doing is not right, but I will never choose to not do right because she isn't too. I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm going to treat her and my boys in the right way because I believe it's the right thing to do. And you did that. For me, it was just by God's grace that I was able to keep my composure in moments that it was hard to keep my composure and not try to defend myself, right? And because that's that's our natural yeah. that's our natural instinct to do that. I, I'm so much better off for it. And certainly, what it really did was, you know, we talk about how our families are now together as one family, and we're a family by choice. Yeah. Those moments, every single one of my kids saw, including our two older ones, and so they understood that there is a loyalty and a connectivity and a love and a care. And all of these things, no matter what happens with us, we're together and we fight together. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, I know this is a, a podcast about dads, but my wife could have easily, number one, she didn't have to marry me. I mean, she married me in the midst of this <laughs> tornado. <laughs> she must really love you. <laughs> right? And then, and then the way that she stood beside me in these times of real torture, yeah. you know, yeah. it, with, inside of the court and outside of the court, all of these things that we had to go through and the name calling she got, I mean, the name calling that she had to endure all the things. It just was horrible. But all of those things helped us because our kids saw the way that we stood yeah. together and yeah. they still see Fantastic. that, right? Yep. So much so that about six years ago, our four daughters asked, they, it was their request to be legally adopted by, by Lonnie. And so it, Lonnie is their mom for lots of reasons besides the fact of a legal piece of paper. Yep. But even our oldest daughter didn't have to do that because she was past the legal age, but that was her choice. That was her she choice. That. Yeah. And so that's when you go, okay, we did this the right way. Yeah. 
And even after the arrest, then you have to deal with a year plus of of court Courts hearing. And right. And I mean, this is a, oh, and, yeah. and even though there is so much evidence, you still get a little concerned that sure, this sure. isn't going to work yeah. out the way yeah, you you're think. looking around right? corners and, right. you know, yeah. And so, you know, I will tell you that during that time, our family was certainly solid. We prayed through uh, a time period that was really, really tough. And ultimately, it came out to our advantage with both of them getting almost 10 years. She got 10 years and and, uh, my father-in-law ended up, unfortunately for him, passing away in prison. Yeah, which is just such a sad part of the story. But, you know, David, it strikes me in the season when your relationship with your kids hung in the balance, right? When you didn't have any control when they're being withheld from you, when everything you're doing is just being pushed away at every turn, you still pursued so that when a season came where they were old enough or when the opportunity came for a relationship, they were there and they were in. And I got to tell you, man, and I know firsthand, your kids are awesome. (laughs) They are just the best. And to know that kids could go through that and because a dad kept pursuing that they could be where they are now, it's just so cool, man. It's just so cool. I mentioned, you know, I lived one day at a time. For any dad that is going through any type of situation like this, if you start looking too far into the future, it'll unwind you and you won't be able to make it through it. But if you look at this as a one day at a time, deal with the troubles of today, get through that, feel like you win the day, right, with your kids then I can promise you that the outcome will you know, be in your favor. Yeah. So with all that in mind, as we are ready to close the podcast, uh, when you think about this journey and what you learn as a dad through uh, being a dad through really difficult times, is there one or two things that stand out for you that you would say to our dads who are listening or who are watching in one of our brewery partners that you would just say, hey, here's the couple of things I've learned that are most important for you to think about when you're going through an intense season as a dad? Well, I've said it a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, your kids, they see and they hear everything. And so be aware of that and, and give yourself the opportunity. You're going to fail. I mean, you're going to fail, but fail fast in the sense that you can go back and you can apologize. And going back with an apology to your kids will pay off in spades <laughs> because then they see you as human and they see you as, you know, as, as trying to do better with the relationship that you're trying to build with them. So I will tell you, just be aware that your kids see and, and uh, hear everything. Uh, and then, and it really ties into the apology, just over-communicate with them. It's okay to share things with your kids and be transparent with them. At least for us, that has worked really, really well. And then they start paying attention to your actions and, you know, your behaviors uh, because they trust in the words that you've used. Now they're looking for validation in your actions, which for us has really led from, you know, I, I talk about generational sin, but it goes to this generational, this legacy that we want to leave with our kids. The things that we've embedded in them, especially over the last 10 years, we see that paying off yeah. in the decisions that they're making in the relationships that they have. It's awesome. The people who they marry the schools that they attend, the jobs that they seek, the friends that they hang around with, all of those things you think aren't connected back to you as a dad, you're, you're wrong. Well, I love it, bro. Thanks for your willingness to come share the story with our dads. And I think so many of our dads, hopefully we'll never have to relate to the the, the intensity of your story, but can relate to being a dad in the midst of really difficult times. And I think there's a lot to take away there. Uh, one of the things that we love to do is we want to challenge our dads to be better dads, to learn, grow, read, right? I know you're a reader like me. Is there anything that you're reading right now, whether it's related to being a dad or just a leader or something, that you say, hey, here's one recommendation I'd give you, something that's been really helpful for me recently? I've just read a book called Stay in Your Lane. And I've referenced staying in my lane and my expertise or like what I, you know, what I am good at. Mm-hmm. Um, so from a business perspective, it's a good book, yeah. right? But I think from a relational perspective, I think it's also good to really understand where you are. You know, everybody takes all these personality tests and yeah. things like that. I don't know if they really apply them, 
But for me, it was a good book just to remember to kind of stay in my lane yeah. and do the things that I am, you know, skilled at. That's awesome. That's awesome. Father. Yep. That's great. So if you're sitting in a chapter right now in one of our breweries, uh, you know, as I'm listening to David, I think one of the questions that would be great as we uh, throw back to the room there, uh, it might be for you to uh, just get in a little group and talk about, you know, what's going on in your life right now that feels really intense. And how can you make sure that you not only are staying engaged as a dad, but how can you make sure you're doing the right thing as a dad to make sure that the relationship is put first? Because we know it's going to come back around at some point. So, David, man, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Uh, So, uh, as we kind of close our time, I actually want to do a giveaway this month. Uh, David, is there? would you mind if some of the guys came and followed you on Instagram? Would that be a possibility? So, what's your Instagram? How can they connect to you? So, I'm like OG on uh, Twitter and Instagram. I'm David Metter. So, somehow I got that. (laughs) Come on now. So, David Metter, and here's going to be our giveaway for this month. So, I'm going to encourage you to go and to find David on Instagram or Twitter, either one, and I'm going to ask you to follow him. And then I want you to post an encouragement about what he shared here on the, on the Dads on Tap podcast. And then make sure that you tag the Dads on Tap as well. Awesome. The first two, you'll have to let me know. The first two that do that, follow David, post something encouraging, tag us. We're going to give away a Dads on Tap hat, which you've seen. They're pretty cool. They are right? very cool. And then also one of our glasses, the second one that does it, gives Which away our glasses very as well. Cool. So uh, we'll do that, and we'll figure out a way to get it to you. Uh, but we want to make sure that we give David some encouragement for being here today. So, Daz, I want to thank you once again for joining us, for listening. I hope you've learned something that's really helpful this month. I'd also love to have you follow us on Instagram at the Dads on Tap and check us out on our website at dadsontap.com. Uh, you can click the link, actually, to show uh, the Brew Crew initiative. would love for you, if you care about dads, want to support the work that we're doing through the podcast or through the brewery partnerships we have, feel free to make a donation. For any donation of over $100 or more, David, you're one of our donors. Thank you very much. Uh, you can attest that the swag box that we have is pretty stinking cool, right? It's real. I mean, it's awesome. So uh, if you do a over $100 or more. We'll send you that just as our thank you uh, for supporting us. Uh, also, I just want to say in closing, I love being a dad. I care about our dads. If there's ever anything that I can do for you personally, I'd love for you to send me an email at scott at dadsontap.com. Just reach out. We'd love to know how I could help you. And lastly, as we close each of our podcasts, I just want to challenge you with the encouragement. Take what you learn today and go become a better dad. We'll see you next month.